Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from the Old Testament reading of Exodus, as you heard a few moments ago. You may be seated. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, last week, if you were here with us, we had journeyed to Mount Sinai where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. They were written on those stone tablets that God himself wrote on. Now, depending on what Christian background you are from, commandment number one covers having no other gods and not making any idols of gods, like carved, graven images of false gods. Or, commandment number one is having no other gods, and commandment number two is not making idols of gods, carved, graven images. We're in the former group. The latter group usually combines commandments nine and ten together, the coveting commandments. And so it becomes just their 10th commandment. No matter where you land, the commandment is still there. Don't make anything resembling some false god and don't bow down and worship and serve it. Because God is a jealous God. And he will not tolerate you cheating on him with some false idol. It's almost like if you make these false gods and bow down and worship them, you are committing adultery against God. Because your relationship is like a marriage, and God wants you to be faithful to him always. He is your groom or bridegroom, and you are the bride. Sometimes, though, one member of this wedding party is late in arriving to the wedding. In our real world, you might often see that the image depicted is the bride, who is the one who shows up late to the wedding, and the, the groom is the one there waiting for her arrival. In God's word, though, because God is the bridegroom and and we are waiting for Christ's return. It's the bridegroom who everyone is waiting to come. You have the parable of the ten virgins where the bridegroom is delayed. And only five of them had prepared enough oil to be ready for when the bridegroom arrived. The point being that we should always be ready for Christ's return. Because we never know when it will come, when we will join the bride, the church, as the people of God. And we will go to be with him for all eternity. Here at Mount Sinai, the people of Israel are not waiting for God to come down. They're waiting for Moses, who is with God. And well, Moses has taken too long. And the people say to Aaron, Up! Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. 
Now, I wasn't there, but I imagine that the image of Mount Sinai remained the same for the entire time that Moses was on the mountain, which was for 40 days. So it wasn't like the people saw something change in the mountain and figured that, you know, Moses should be back by now. Maybe it's just that they have no patience. And so they want gods, not just one god, but multiple gods to be made that will go before them. Just like God had been going before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Currently, God is in cloud and fire on Mount Sinai, but that's not good enough, obviously. And what does Aaron do? He says, no, no, no. You guys, you need to wait for Moses to come back down from the mountain. And I know that waiting is not easy, but it's all going to be okay. Not so much. Aaron says, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Now, you might not think, for those of you who actually wear, like, earrings and stuff, that, I mean, that's not a lot of gold from your ears. It's not going to make all that much. But remember, we might estimate that there were around two million people of Israel at this time, so that could turn into quite a bit of gold that Aaron then makes into this golden calf. It's also possible that this wasn't like a solid gold all the way through, but that a structure was made first and then it was covered in gold. Either way, it's enough for this baby cow idol to be made. And then the people say, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Well, that's not true. What is interesting to note is that the gold to make this idol is taken from where? The ears. Almost symbolic of representing that they have taken the word of God out of their ears and are no longer listening to him. Certainly, Aaron has caved easily into the demands of the people rather than standing up to them and saying that this is a bad idea. You will also see later that Aaron does not take responsibility for his part in the idol worship after Moses does finally come down from the mountain and sees all that they've done. Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. Aaron says, it's not, it's not my fault. Sound familiar at all? It's not my fault. It's these people, right? And then I collected their gold and threw it in the fire, and magically this baby cow came out. Well, that's not true. What is true? Moses is on the mountain, and God says to him, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it. Now, you may notice that God calls them your people. 
He tells Moses who these people are. Since clearly they are not living according to God's commands, so they are not God's people. And then God goes on to say, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. Again, God distances himself. Your people, Moses? No, no, now they're this people. And Moses seems to be the only faithful one, and so God will destroy everyone else and leave Moses as the one whom the nations will be blessed from, since Moses is a descendant of Abraham. And God keeps his promises, even amidst his wrath. What does Moses do? He actually intercedes for the people and asks God not to bring disaster upon the people who he calls your people, God. He asks God to turn his wrath away. He puts the people back into God's care. They are your people, God. Don't do this. And what does God do? He actually relented from bringing disaster upon Moses' people? No, from bringing disaster on his people. But then Moses goes down the mountain with Joshua, and as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. God may have relented. His wrath may have been stopped in this moment, but certainly Moses does not hold back. He breaks the commandments of God, those stone tablets which were written by God himself. And then he takes that calf and he burns it to the ground. And then he takes that powder and he throws it in the water so that everyone will have to drink it. Now this is an interesting thing that he does. And you can take a guess as to why he made them drink it. Here's the reason that I like. Moses here is saying, this is what I think of your idol. It's crap. And so you're going to drink it. You're going to consume it. And then it's going to go through your system and it's going to come out the other end. It's going to be waste. Because that is the kind of thing that is fit for an idol. That is what your idol is worth. So that all of that gold that was used to make this idol can now never be recovered. And there was punishment. The people were divided. And those who were loyal to God were separated, and some of those people who weren't paid the ultimate price with their lives. And then Moses went to God again to make atonement for the people, to ask for their forgiveness for making the golden calf. He actually says, but God, if you won't forgive their sins, you might as well take me out too. And God says, whoever has sinned against me, 
I will blot out of my book. All those who sinned against God would suffer death, though not right away like those 3,000. So what about us? What's our golden calf? What is the thing that you worship instead of God? What are your images, living or non-living, that you worship in place of God? I was at this pastor's conference this week, and they asked us this question. They said, fill in the blank. I am a... I want you to do the same. Think about this. I am a... Now, for most of us pastors there, what did we probably say? What did I say? I am a... No. (laughs) But thank you for that. No. No, I I am a pastor. Now, you don't have to give me your answer, but what did you say? I am a... I don't know what you said. You could have said anything. You could have said that I am a child of God. I am a baptized member of God's family. I am a redeemed sinner. But maybe whatever you filled in the blank with can become an idol. For pastors, there are some people in the world that feel that as a pastor, you are married to the church. I'm sorry, but I'm actually married to my wife. And as much as I love all of you, I really don't want to sleep in bed with you at night. But what can happen is that pastors can have this feeling as if the church needs them. And so what do they do? Well, they elevate themselves. And pastors make themselves into an idol. And so, well, my family needs me to be there, but the church, they need me right now. Right? The church needs me in the evenings. They need me in the middle of the night. They need me on Sunday mornings. They need me on Wednesday evenings. If I am not here next week, will you all be here? I certainly hope so. But sometimes there's this idea that without me, the church would crumble and fall. And so I have to be here. I have to do all of these things for you. Otherwise, the church will not succeed. When I do that, I've made myself into a God. I am not a God. Because I could be here today and gone tomorrow. And guess what? You will all still be here. The church will still be here. God will call another worker to serve you. Because the church is not about me. It is about Christ. I shouldn't make myself into a golden calf. And I certainly don't want you to make me into one. So let's not talk about me. Let's talk about you. 
What is the thing that has become or can become an idol? Your golden calf. Today is Trinity Sunday. We worship God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three in one, the triune God. But there are non-trinities that can get in the way of the one true triune God. The first threesome we often think about is the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh. These are all things that lead us astray from God. Not that we worship Satan, though some do, but he is the one who takes the lead in our temptation, in trying to get us to sin, in leading us away from Christ and telling us lies like God doesn't care about us or he doesn't love us. To the Israelites, Satan says, if he really cared about you, he wouldn't have brought you into the desert, into the wilderness to die. So, Here's a God that does care about you. Moo. To you, maybe Satan says, if God really cared about you, if he really loved you, he would. You can fill in the blank. The world is right there next to Satan trying to lead you astray because the world has all kinds of things that draw your attention away from God. Here's a few. There are many more. The world gives you the sports god. Because why would you want to come to worship when you can go and watch your kid or grandkids game? There's the Netflix god. Because, well, what's better than being at church? Being at home watching church. Eh, you know, that gets kind of old and boring. So why not watch something that's actually interesting? So we tune God off. There's the work god. Because, well, you need to make money, and that's your main priority, not church, because they only want your money. Oh, here's the offering plate, by the way. There's the social media, or the selfie god. Because what matters the most is you. And you need to make the whole world know how just important that you are. And so we bring this image of us from whatever angle, and that's what we show everybody. The last one I'll tell you about, at least for now, is the butt God. No, not like that kind of butt. But the God of excuses. Hey, pastor, I was going to come to church today, but... Pastor, I, I would be here every week, but... Now, this one gets into the last one, our sinful flesh. Or as we could put it as a, another non-Trinity threesome, me, myself, and I. We all have temptations. We all make excuses for not worshiping God. What is your golden calf? Because we all have them. And in the end, they all need to be burned down to the ground. But more than that, we deserve death for worshiping our false gods. For putting anything but God, the true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as the head of our life. 
We deserve the wrath of God to be poured out on us, just like the Israelites at Sinai deserved. We deserve physical death, and more than that, we deserve eternal death. We deserve condemnation. We deserve hell. And you know what? God does bring his wrath. In the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus prayed. He prayed for the cup to be taken from him. This cup is the cup of God's wrath. The cup that Jesus will drink is the wrath of God, and it is poured out on him as he is nailed to the cross. Jesus takes the wrath of God all on himself because he is the perfect, sinless son of God, and he is the only one who can do it. He is the only one who can die for the people. He is the only one who can be our atonement. He died for your sins and for mine. He died for all of our idols, all of the things that we put in front of him, the things of this world, even ourselves. And Jesus died for us because it was the only way to save us. And even amidst his wrath, God keeps his promises. Because through Jesus' death, the promise of Genesis 3, the serpent crusher, is fulfilled is kept. The sacrifice is complete. And he rises on the third day because his sacrifice was acceptable to God. And the wrath of God is appeased. And he has opened the door for all who believe in him to have eternal life. And he sent his Holy Spirit as we celebrated Pentecost last week to give us the gift of faith. And Jesus has given us more as well. On the same night he was betrayed, he took bread and wine and he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, this is my blood given for you for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and eat it and drink it. At Mount Sinai, Moses forced the Israelites to consume the broken body of this golden idol which only causes pain and suffering. And what it allows them to experience is how damaging an idol truly is to the communion we have with God. And what a waste that is. In the Lord's Supper, we consume Jesus' body and blood as our Passover lamb, not to have it go to waste, but to provide for our spiritual nourishment as we are in communion with God this new covenant that he has given to us for the forgiveness of our sins, for the strengthening of our faith, and for our salvation. The golden calf could not fulfill, and Jesus fulfills all things. And the Lord's Supper is a great reminder of the finished work of the cross. And it's a great reminder of who you are. You are his child, called by name in baptism, brought into his family. You are his bride, whom he loves for and cares for and died for 
and rose for, whom he gives his body and his blood to eat and to drink. You are the chosen one of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is who you are because this is who God says you are. And this is most certainly true. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.